0: Uh, let's go back to our main preaching series on the book of Exodus. We're still in chapter 14. Uh, we started this chapter last week. And if you missed that, please watch the video. If you're trying to watch it on the internet, we have it available on our Facebook page. So our website and our YouTube channel is not yet updated. We are kind of short-handed when it comes to our uh, communication staff and the, the techies up there. So uh don't go to, the, to YouTube or don't go to the website. just go to the Facebook page uh, and you'll see the, the sermons there and so please take the time to watch them. Um, so last week we started taking up this uh, chapter 14, which is probably one of the most iconic, one of the most popular parts of the book of Exodus, let alone the whole Bible. So this is the chapter where the pinnacle or sorry, where the miracle parting of the Red Sea took place. So everybody knows. Parting of the Red Sea. Uh, seen it in movies, just like what I said last week. Preaching on Sunday school. Even non-Christians know the parting of the Red Sea. It's that popular. So now last week I mentioned that if there is any chapter, if there's any chapter in the Old Testament that we should read Christologically, or in other words, uh, with the Gospel of Christ in mind, we should read chapter 14 that way. You shouldn't read the chapter looking for miracles. You shouldn't read the chapter just wanting to know the story. Um, You should read this chapter with the gospel of Christ in mind. Uh, The focus of this whole chapter is not the parting of the sea, uh, but in how the Israelites crossed over the sea and how it uh, serves as a mirror to our own salvation in Christ. Uh, And so that's what I want you guys to see. Uh, So last week, I mentioned that in reading this chapter Christologically, we can learn three things about our salvation, one of which we already took up last week. First thing, this is one we took up last week. First thing about salvation that we can learn uh, in chapter 14 in the the crossing of the Red Sea is that salvation, being saved, is about getting out of something or being saved from something. You don't need salvation if you're safe. The reason why we need salvation is because we're not. Okay? So, first thing we learned last week. S- uh, second thing we can learn, and we're going to learn these next two things this morning, that salvation is about crossing over from death to life. Right? Salvation is about a crossing over, right? there's a change in scenery. Okay? And the third is salvation, uh, that we can learn about salvation uh, in the story of the crossing of the Red Sea, uh, is about how. Uh, how you got cro- How you crossed over? Okay. If salvation is about being saved, and being saved is about crossing over, how do we cross over? How do we get from one side to the other? So it's pretty much a mixture of the first two points, right? So uh, in the context of the story, I mentioned that God, in His grace uh, and mercy, rescued the Israelites, physically rescued them, objectively rescued them from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. So this means that the Israelites in this part of the story that we're in have made their exodus. They've left Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land, right? So we know from the narrative that the trip to the promised land does not start off well, right? You know, we know that, right? Uh, it looks like it starts off well because they're at the beach. They're, they're near the Red Sea. They're, they're putting up their tents and camping out. And then all of a sudden in, in the, in the, far, in the far, further, uh, when they look down, they saw the Egyptians coming. I thought we were free. Why are these people still chasing us? Right? I said that uh, we can learn a couple of things from that part of the story. First, uh, we learned that sin is a, as a slave master, like Pharaoh, will not just leave you alone. It's always going to chase after you until you die. And Second, we learned that freedom from sin has layers or has stages to it. We're not... You we weren't free from sin, so to speak, as far as its presence and power in us. After you prayed the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't free us from sin. Although spiritually, it enables you to be freed from sin. But we still all continue to sin after that, right? So there's these layers when it comes to freedom from sin, one of it is objective, and I said that the objective part was uh, accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. That was the objective part. So we know, by faith, that's how we were freed. The subjective part is the hard part. That's in us, each and every one of us. Um, so the Israelites have been freed objectively from slavery uh, because their status has changed. They were Before they were in chains, now they're not. They were under Pharaoh's rule, but now they're under God's rule. Before they were in Egypt, now they're out of way, out of Egypt, on their way to the promised land. So objectively, God has freed them. But subjectively, internally, they're still slaves. They still have the slave mentality. And why do I say that? Because once they saw the Egyptians coming, what did they do? They reacted with fear and trembling as if Pharaoh still had power over them. As if they were still in Egypt. As if they were still under Pharaoh's authority. And because of that remaining slave mentality in the Israelites, they panicked. And when they, what, what did they do when they panicked? They started turning against the true Savior, the one who actually saved them. And I mentioned last week that this is why people, Christians or not, have a hard time accept, uh, accepting corrections or rebukes. You all have a hard time with that because we still have internally idols. We still want to hold on to these idols and we are still enslaved by these idols. And when someone tries to take that idol away, what do we do? We fight for it. Like bulldogs. I have a bulldog, okay? Levi. Bulldogs by nature are territorial. Okay? So they claim, not just areas, they claim stuff. So when they bite on something, when they get a hold of something, they hover over it. They go like this. Why? Because they don't want you to take it. It's theirs. Some of us are like that. right? Some of us are like that with our idols, whatever that idol is. Yeah, later on, the couples will learn about that. In couples uh, fellowship later on. Some of us, our idol is our spouse. We're always like somebody's gonna steal your spouse. Nobody's gonna steal. Your spouse wants to get away from you first. <laughs> For some, <of> us. <laughs> right? We still hold on to these things, and it's so hard to pry us, pry these things off of our hands, whatever these things may be. And that's why I said last week, not only does the slave master continue to hound us, it won't let the Israelites leave freely. This mentality of slavery, this internal subjective mentality of slavery that is still in the Israelites, they still haven't let go of it. Even though God said, cleanse all the leaven in you, around you, he's still holding on to this fear of Pharaoh. So that they feared Pharaoh more than they trust God. And that's why I said last week, that's why we need somebody to save us. We need someone to save us. So I left you guys a question last week. The question was, how does God deal with the Israelites after they started, you know, um, grumbling to Moses? And the scripture says that God fights for them. Right? How does God fight for the Israelites? More importantly, how does God save them from their bondage to slavery? That's what we're going to take up this this morning. So, you guys ready? Let's go back to the scriptures. Uh, Exodus 14, verses 11 to 14. They said to Moses, "Is, is it because there are no graves in Egypt? I hate that part. Like If somebody was to tell me that, I'd be like, okay, go back. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? 12, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Is that what they said to God? Did they tell God while they were in slavery, God, we're okay here. Leave us alone. No, they were crying out. That's why God sent Moses. Then all of a sudden, didn't we tell you to leave us alone? Oh, I'm getting angry again. Uh, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. I feel like you know when Christmas time comes and you give your kids their presents, and then when they, they're excited to open it, and they're like, "Huh? Eh? This is not what I wanted." I wanted the other one, or I wanted the... Won't you just... I, I just want to lose it at that, right? Oh, you don't want it? Here, give me that. And give me all the stuff in your room. Give me all your clothes. Right? Get out of my house. <laughs> what? Really? You've been given this and you're complaining? Uh, this is, That's a different sermon, but that's what they're doing, right? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness, but this is the response. Look at Moses' response. Fear not in verse 13. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. 14, the Lord will. You only have to be. <laughs> I like that part too. I forgot my water. Can you I'm just going to grab my water. You only have to be silent. You shut up and watch. Right? Shut up and watch. So because of the slavery mentality, the, 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 the sight of their former slave master still drove the people of Israel into panic. And when placed in a situation where they had no place to go, remember, behind them is Red, Red Sea. Or in front of them is the Red Sea. Behind them, that's coming after them, is the Egyptians. Nowhere to go. When it's when it's like that, the tendency for people we see it in Adam and Eve is what start pointing fingers. Right, your fault, your fault, your fault. All right later on, couples. We're gonna do this. In couples later on. I think so. I think this is part of it, because couples do this, right? Right. You you spend money, both of you spend money. Then when you look at your budget and your Right? You're, you're way under, or sorry, way above budget. You start, uh, what did you do? What did you do? What, what, what did you, did you buy again? Did you, uh, you start pointing fingers. You start blaming somebody else for it. That's what the Egyptians are doing. Not the Egyptians, but the Israelites are doing here. They start blaming Moses. starting started pointing back the finger to Moses and to God. Uh, but Moses, um, I think by God's grace, re- replied or responded by, fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. So, what can we learn from this part of the story? We're gonna be hitting two birds with one stone here. So, we're gonna be answering the question: How does God fight for the Israelites? How does God begin to save the Israelites from their subjective internal bondage to slavery? That's number one. And second, we're gonna see the third thing that we can learn further, or sorry, the second and the third thing that we can learn from this part of the story regarding salvation. Namely, that salvation is a crossing over from death to life and how God accomplishes that. So right now, the Israelites are about to experience death at the hands of the Egyptians. How does God save them? How does God cross them over? Okay? So first thing I want you to know is that the salvation that God offers can only be accomplished by God alone. That's why he's the only one to offer it because he's the only one who can accomplish it, right? Once again, Moses replied to the Israelites, after they come to him in panic, is for them to not fear. Stand firm. See, watch what God will do for them. That's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? When you know that there's a lot of stuff to do, we, it's hard to stand firm. It's hard to just Just stay. We do this all the time when we go to shopping, when we go to the outlet malls, right? Okay, we're going to meet back here in an hour, the food court. So whoever goes there first, you're supposed to stay there. If you're there early, know that the people are coming back. But no, what do they do? Five minutes, they're still not here. They're still not here. What do they do? They go walking around again, trying to look for this. Right? And you go to the food cart, oh, they're not here. Maybe I should, I should just wait? No, I should look for them. It's so hard to stand, just stay still, right? That's why a lot of parents, what they do to their kids is what? Oh, go to the corner. Stand still in the corner. Because it's so hard for us to stay still because we're so, we get so anxious. We panic. We get so anxious. We, we think that by walking around or by doing something... You'll solve the problem. Sometimes, and God says, no, sometimes you just got to chill. Stand firm. Stay still. Watch and see. Um, the Israelites couldn't do that. They, they feel like they needed to run. They feel like they needed to be somewhere else. And so they panicked. Uh, you, anybody had a panic attack before? Or anxiety attack? I remember one time I had a panic attack. It was the uh, the night before we were going to go to the Philippines for a mission trip. The one that we went to. Uh, yeah, that one. I was sitting, we were living in Caledonia, the, uh, the condos there. And I was sitting and I was waiting for, the flight was like 6 in the morning or something like that, I forget. Um, but it was 2 in the morning and I couldn't sleep. And I was just sitting there just thinking about, you know, what to do or you, know, or, you know, passports. We have our passports. We got everything. You know, don't forget anything. And all of a sudden I started thinking, what if the plane crashed? What if, you know, you know, you start disasterizing these right? And that was my biggest fear. I didn't want to be in the same plane. And my wife is there and, see, and the plane crashes in the middle of the ocean and she can't swim Right? And I have, I, have to be, I have to save her. What if she drags me down and we both die? Right? Or if I leave her, because I can swim. If I just, okay, you can't swim, I'll see you in heaven. What would my kids say about me? <laughs> what would my family say about me? So I started thinking about that. started thinking about that. And I started, I started panicking. I couldn't stop it. I started having cold sweats. I started, my heart just just thinking about what could happen. And that's the, what a panic attack looks like. Right? So by definition, the Mayo Clinic said that a panic attack is a, quote-unquote, a sudden episode of intense fear that triggers severe physical reactions when there is no real danger or apparent cause. Panic attacks can be very frightening when a panic attack occurs. You might think you're losing control, having a heart attack, or even dying. you catch that? A panic attack is an intense fear when there is no real danger or apparent cause. Now, let's put that definition in the context of the Israelites. Is there a real danger that caused them to panic? Yes, there was. So was it okay for them to react this way? <laughs> it's no, Yeah, it's normal. It's not a trick question. I'm going to try to trick you. <laughs> it's normal to panic. On the other hand, spiritually speaking, is it normal to panic? Remember, we're supposed to be reading this Christologically. But let me put it this way. In the context of the story, these people... Okay, in the context of the story, these people that are panicking, they just saw God turn river into blood. They just saw God command forces of nature to the point that even the sun disappeared. They just saw that. And they still What about in my context? Was there a real danger in flying 13 14 hours to the Philippines? Even though air travel is the safest way to travel, there's still some danger. There's still a possibility that it could crash. We could all die. and I have to decide, should I save my wife? <laughs> or not, right? There's still that. But listen, and this is what I want you guys to. When we read Christologically, this is what you do. What does the Bible say about that? Didn't God say in his word that if I have faith in Christ, even though I die physically, that won't be the end of me? That in Christ I will live again? Isn't that what it is? Isn't that that true? Isn't that beyond reality, beyond our reality, isn't that the absolute truth for Christians? So let me ask you again. Is there real danger? Because the real danger is you dying and you're going to hell. That's danger. Because that's never going to end. When you die, and later I'm going to talk about this, when we die, the death part takes like that, and you're dead. Well, maybe not like that. But it just lasts a moment. And then you're you're done. And then you go to wherever God says you go. So in that sense, it's the real danger. So if, if, if you're a Christian, if you're like the Israelites who saw God work, why do you still panic? I think, and let me know if, uh, if you guys agree or not, I think that the reaction of the Israelites and my panic attack experience is due to the fact that I'm trying to resolve a future problem based on my current abilities and strength. I would say that the Israelites were doing the same thing. I'm trying to solve something in the future that I think will be a problem based on my current ability and strength. If I was to use my uh, illustration, plane crashing, okay, middle of the Pacific Ocean. That's the ocean that we cross to go to the Philippines, right? Pacific. My wife's drowning. Did you know that the body itself, you know, adrenaline, it gives you strength, like superhuman strength. Why do you think? And when does a, that kind of adrenaline rush come? When you need it. <laughs> it's not going to come now. I don't need it. If I'm stuck in a hole, I have to lift something. And yeah, maybe. Right? God saving the Israelites, the same thing. Are, were the Egyptians already there? In fact, if you read the story, it'll take overnight because the angels stopped them from crossing. You read the story? You pay attention to the story? It'll take overnight. Overnight, God was blowing the water up. While they were doing that, the Israelites were sitting there just waiting. The Egyptians are right there. But they're not at their, you know, space yet. Right? So why panic? And you're seeing water being split, the sea being split. Why are you panicking? (laughs) It's because they were trying to solve a future problem based on their current abilities. They reacted that way because their backs were against the sea, there was nowhere to run. And they realized man, these Egyptians must be pissed. Why? Tenth plague. All these guys that are chasing after them, they just lost their firstborn. How would you be, how angry would you be if you just lost your firstborn? And not only that, they lost their workers. They must be really angry, right? So if you're the Israelites, oh, man, they're not just going to whip us. They're going to do all kinds of crazy things to you because they're so angry. What did the Israelites do? They panicked But Moses tells them Don't worry Be happy (laughs) Don't worry Stand still Watch how God will save you And isn't that what it means to be saved by grace? Don't worry they still trust in the salvation of the Lord. Because at this point, there is nothing that the Israelites could have done to save themselves. Nothing. They were dressed for battle, remember? Dressed for battle, they left Egypt. They were dressed for battle, but they weren't trained for battle. Not yet, at least. So there was no hope for them to get out of this situation alive, so they, they panicked. And when you panic, you forget. Right? When you panic, you forget. When they forget, they forgot about the Savior who was on their side. They forgot that they had a God who will fight for them. So they panicked. So now, how does God fight for the Israelites? Let you guys read it. Uh, chapter 14, verses 15 to 17. Read verse 21 to 30. How does God fight for his people? Easy answer is to say, well, God parted the sea with his great power. But I want us to look at this a little bit more. Again, read this Christologically with a gospel lens. How does God fight for the Israelites? First, think about how both the Israelites and the Egyptians ended up crossing the sea read it right both of them went into the sea how come it was only the israelites that made it across but the egyptians the sea came back at them what was the difference what saved the israelites from the waters of the red sea i want to offer to you two answers to this question First, the Israelites had a mediator. Second, they had faith in the God of their mediator. Okay? How did the Christ, what, what's, the, what's the difference between the crossing of the sea from the Egyptians and the Israelites? The Israelites had a mediator and they believed in the God of their mediator. And again, this is the, also the third thing we can learn about salvation uh, through the Red Sea crossing. How did the Israelites get out of Egypt and how did they get across the Red Sea? They had a mediator. Right? 14 verse 15 again. I'm going to read it for you. Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel, go forward. So after the Israelites saw the Egyptians coming, they grumbled to Moses. Did it say that Moses grumbled with them? No. They grumbled to Moses. And Moses went up to God and brought their concerns towards God. But look at what God said. Moses, why do you... I don't think this is a plural you. You know you, plural. I think he's talking to Moses. Moses, why do you cry to me? Was Moses grumbling? So why is he getting rebuked? Why is he the one getting questioned? Because he was... Or he is mediator. Some commentaries say that Moses was included in the grumbling. But the text does not read that way. Right? Read it again. It doesn't read that way. So why does God rebuke Moses? And then you read further down. He tells Moses, use your staff. Stretch out your hands to part the waters. So after rebuking him, he tells him, accomplish a miracle so that the sea would be divided, so that the people of Israel could be saved, and so that the Egyptian army could be defeated. Why, why Moses? <laughs> How did the Israelites get across and the Egyptians didn't? Because they had a mediator. A mediator in the biblical sense is someone that can fully identify with both God and man. Are you, are you, I think you know where I'm going with this. Right? That's the mediator. right? Moses was that for the Israelites in that he was the one who represented man to God and then God to, to man. The Egyptians didn't have that. That's why they didn't make it across the Red Sea. Were there any Egyptians in the covenant nation of Israel that made it across the Red Sea? Yes. Why? Because they're part of the covenant. And the covenant has a mediator. Right? In the same way, Christians, okay, those of us who are Christians here, we're not saved by our own merit. We're not saved because we believed. I'm going to get to that later on. We're saved through the merit of a mediator. Someone who represented us and our sins on the cross and at the same time represented God's perfect sacrifice to pay for the penalty of our sins. So without Christ, there would be no crossing over. Death to life. And also notice in the story, Moses, God told Moses, spread out your hands, use your staff, so that the waters will part so that the people can be saved, right? But also, look, God said, Moses, stretch out your hand so the sea will come back, so the Egyptians will be defeated. You read Revelation. Who's coming back? To to open up the sea again for salvation? No, not this time. When he comes back again, when the Lord Jesus comes back again, he's coming back as a, a war general. To finally defeat the opponents, trying to defeat evil and put an end to it once and for all, physically, objectively. That's what Moses is representing here. He saved, he also judged. So even though both the Israelites and the Egyptian army crossed, only the Israelites were saved from the waters of the Red Sea. Why? First, because the Israelites had a mediator. Second, the Israelites were able to cross because they believed in the God of the mediator. They believed in the God of the mediator. Again, uh, chapter 14, 30 and 31. Thus, the Lord saved Israel. The Lord saved Israel, not Moses. The Lord saved Israel That day, from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. and They believed in the Lord and in His servant, Moses. So God's salvation plan from the beginning has always been based on faith in His ability to save. Faith in his ability to save. That's why going back to verses 13 and 14, the instructions to Moses, to the Israelites were, don't fear, stand firm, watch and be silent as the Lord fights for you. Trust in the fighting that the Lord will do for you. He never said, trust me, I will stand before the sea and... If you watch the movies, that's pretty much the, the focus on the movies. No, no, no. <laughs> that's not the focus. God is the one that saved them. Wasn't Moses? Now, if you read this passage, there's a temptation to emphasize faith in this passage. Also, because they believe that's why they got across. That the faith of the Israelites is what saved them. True to a certain extent. One could argue that if they didn't trust Moses and God of Moses, they would have never made it across the sea. But I would argue that this is not what this passage is pointing us to again. Again, reading it with a gospel lens. The reason is because the faith of those who made it across the sea, those who were members of the covenant of of Israel, their faiths were not all the same. Right? Think about it. Based on the story, not everyone who crossed over, who were part of the covenant, was uh, a believer in God. Some of them just piggybacked onto the Israelites. Right? And in fact, I would say not all, even, not all the Israelites had the same faith. Maybe some of them have this much. Maybe some of them have that much. Well, not all of them had the same faith. So who, what determines what? If we were to focus on the faith of the individual Israelites. How did they get saved if they all had different levels of? Like different levels of faith right here, right now. Right? Some of us have almost zero faith. Especially those who are already. They don't believe that this is beneficial for them. That's why they believe in sleep more that's faith, right? But some of us were high. Like we're like, oh man, what's next? What's next? And if you can remember, some of the people in the in the covenant of Israel, the nation that crossed over the sea, some of them were foreigners. Remember they had to get circumcised to become part of that? So how you think they had the faith in God? Same faith. No, but they did have some faith for them to cross, right? But if you were to emphasize, again, if you were to read this passage with an emphasis on the faith of the individuals who were included in that covenant nation, then we would have to ask the question, right? Did they all have the same level of faith? No. So Keller pointed out, Tim Keller, the author of the that book, right? Keller pointed out, the crossing of the sea on dry ground must, have some kind of, must be some kind of experience. If you put yourself in their situation. Have you been on a cruise? Have you been in, on a beach? Right, you know, in a beach, uh, when you can still see the bottom, like if it's still blue, it's still okay. It's not that deep. You can still walk. Some of us snorkel. Right? But when it starts to turn black, <laughs> it's deep. That's deep. We don't want to go there. I'm scared. I'm, if, if I just look down on it, it looks scary. Right. Imagine being in, in in the front of the Red Sea, looking down, looking at it, and then you see the water starting to pile up, pile up, pile up on one side. And it was, it was high. Right. I was watching this uh, documentary on Typhoon Haiyan, when they had a storm surge come, when the wave came in. Wave was like 20, 20 feet high. Came in. It came in quick, right? Think about that. Think about what kind of fear. And some people are afraid of water, right? What kind of fear must you have to to cross through? You know, this is the sea, and you, nothing is holding. There's no, there's no walls, right? The water is just on their left and on their right. So you're crossing. Some of us are probably crossing. Ah yeah, that's nothing. God did this. God's gonna hold it up, no problem. Some of us are probably, man, my wife better, you know, better swim quick. If if this falls, (laughs) I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna start running. Some of them must be scared, and it is scary if you think about it, right? The the way they portrayed in the movies, like in the Prince of Egypt, there were whales swimming. (laughs) <laughs> did, you, did you see that part of the movie that must be scary having a wall of water surrounding you and there's again nowhere to go if ever that thing falls they're dead, they're done right so some would cross with confidence others would be scared to death so emphasizing the faith of the Israelites at that point as the source of their salvation would be missing the point. Keller once again said that it was not the quality of the faith of the people that crossed that saved them, it was the object of their faith that saved them. It wasn't the quality, it was the object of the faith that saved them. In contrast, the object of the Egyptians' faith was Pharaoh. They believed in Pharaoh, followed him. Even to death. the Israelites, even though some of them have faith, some of them have mustard seed faith, some of them had big faith, the object of the faith is what kept them crossing, even though they were scared right And that's the same for us again. Uh, not everybody here has the same level of faith. Not everybody here can just say, yeah, I can do all things. Some of us have anxiety issues. Some of us have, right? But ultimately, it's not up to that even. But where is that anchored to? right? So my illustration would be, um, if, if you go rock climbing or you know with no rope or even using a rope, where should your confidence be on? The rope. Some of us the you know our, our the strength of our fingers, right? Let's be confident in that. We've got to work that out. Well what's preventing you from falling really? The mount, the rock. <laughs> Think about it. If you had a rope and you're dangling and you're climbing up this rock, and then you see a tree branch sticking out of the rock. Oh, tree branch. Okay, let me put my rope on that. You think that'll hold you? Maybe for a little while? But really, no. You you secure it onto something sturdy, something that won't move, something that will carry your weight and the weight of those behind you. You have to, otherwise it's a useless rope. People who rock climb, before they step, Sometimes they step on little two-inch pieces of rock. Before they even step, before they even grab, they make sure that that thing is stable, that it's not slippery. Why? Because if that gives, (laughs) then you're dead. It's that simple. The object of the faith of the Israelite is what saved them. The Lord saved the Israelites. Not their faith. Because we all have different faith. We all have different levels of so therefore, if you put it in our context, the more you know God, the more you know where to grab on to, the more you know that he's solid, that he's, he won't budge, the more you know him through the Lord Jesus Christ, the more faith is strengthened. Right? It's not about working out. I know it says in the Bible, work out your faith with obedience. I work out your salvation with obedience. But in obedience, isn't that an exercise of faith as well? And in faith, what are you anchoring your faith to? Is it the work? Is it your skill? Is it money? What is it? If it's not God, it's going to fail. You're going to fall. It has to be God. The anchor has to be strong enough. When it comes to our salvation, there's nobody stronger. There's nobody who can hold us other than God, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody else. Right. So the more we live out His command to make disciples of all nations, then see Him work His salvation in the lives of those we preach and teach the gospel to, the more faith is strengthened. And I've said this over and over again during uh, the course of my years here when I went to missions to a mission trip i, ne- I never really want to go i'm the biggest diva when it comes to these things i want to have a nice washroom my toilet has to be clean and flushing i can't just eat any food it has to be prepared by somebody i know and it has to look good i'm the biggest diva when it comes to that. To so the point where I asked the young people that I went to uh, back then, even before we left, I'm like, okay, when we go to those places where they serve you their food, sit beside me. So if I don't want to eat it, I just pass it to you. <laughs> because it's rude to do that because like, they have no money, right? So you, if, whatever they give to you, you have to eat it. But sometimes they give to you like they, they serve served as pork, it's boiled pork, and they had hair on the pork. And I'm like... I can't. I can't do it. Right? If there's hair on it. I can't do it. I had. Uh, I think it was Aiden or Addison with me. I'm like, yo, can you or John C, yo, please, because I don't want to be rude, right? But what, what what is it that made me go? And this is what I told my son too. Because my son, I was tell, uh, asking him to go. He didn't want to go. Is Eli. What made me go was I wanted to see. How God works in person, like live, in the lives of people. I wanted to see that. And we did see it, right? I wanted to see that. I wanted to see people change. I wanted to see people help. I wanted to see children come to Christ. I wanted to see that. So was it worth? <laughs> we were talking about this at Sunday school. Was the cost worth the benefit? Yes. Hospitals, I hate going to hospitals hate it. But I go to visit. Sometimes sick, dying, right? Why? What makes you go? Even though you don't want to, I just really don't want to. The benefit in seeing. Sometimes it's the benefit in the people that are dying that are ministering to you. (laughs) Sometimes it's that. But you go, right? No matter how faith is. Because why? If you're anchored to God and you know that He can work all things for good, that He can, you know, that he works in mysterious ways, you go. Even though sometimes you can't see clearly, you take that, that's why it's called a step of faith. You go. In ministry, do I know what's going to happen when I became, when I said yes to the pastor right here? No. I was, I was uh, disasterizing it even. Right? I was thinking, okay, if half the people left, then we could sell the building and just move to a smaller. (laughs) And if half the people left again, then we could just, Stop church and we can just go our different ways. That's how I was thinking. But I never thought about how, man, what if? Because God can work, right? Miracles. What if, what if people start to grow? What if we started to grow even more in church? What if, what, right? And was I was telling the Sunday school earlier, a lot of Christians, we look at the Christianity based on the cost It takes to be a Christian, right? If that's you, you don't know what it means to be a Christian. Because the cost is paid for, done. Right? Now if you're thinking coming to church on a cold day is a cost, you don't know the benefits. If you're thinking sleeping early on a Saturday, so when I come to church on Sunday, I'm wide awake, you don't know the benefits. Either you don't know the benefits, or you don't believe that there will be benefits, there is and you take that step of faith to see it that's what the israelites did their faith was anchored on something or someone who is more powerful than they have ever seen faith is solid so they crossed again god's ultimate plan of salvation salvation is to restore us back to himself and it all begins with the planting and growing of the seed of faith the hearts of those who will believe through the gospel so they crossed and so we cross So the rest of the exodus story will show us multiple ways how god trains and grows the faith of his people including us today we're going to begin looking at that in the next chapter exodus 15 but i want to, i want to leave you with that okay Uh, if there is something that you're putting off that you know God has been calling you to do, where is your faith anchored in? Is it in your abilities? Maybe that's why you're panicking. Is it in your resources? Maybe that's why you're panicking. Is it in your current situation? Maybe that's why you're panicking. Because your situation is not going to get to the perfect level before you can say, I can start serving God now. It's never going to get to that. Something always comes up for you to to not serve God. Take that step of faith. Anchor that faith to God, actually. To God. Through Jesus Christ, nothing else can hold you but that. Amen? Let's pray. The Lord bless you and And give you peace, and give you peace, the Lord made his face to shine upon you, and be be gracious unto you, and be gracious, the Lord be gracious.